You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So I have some other things to tell you, and they're not exactly all, I don't know, I couldn't make them fit together into one nice, neat little package of a message, but I'm just going to tell you three things today, okay? And maybe if we come to the end and those threads are still hanging, three separate threads, we can braid them. (laughs) But I'm telling you, I think that the one thing that pulls them all together is there's a relationship. Here's what I want to talk about today. There's a relationship between law and grace and sanctification. And that's where we need to dive in as we continue this conversation that we've been having for several weeks around what it means to be holy, to be entirely sanctified, which is the little piece of theology that that Methodists, not United Methodists particularly, but Methodists bring to the conversation at, at the table of the body of Christ. So where does sanctification lead us? So the first thing I want to tell you is so I got a text this morning from somebody who used to come to Mosaic when she lived in town. She moved out of town. She's such a sweet part of our community while she was here. And she'd seen something in her devotional this past week that reminded her of a conversation she and I had. And so she texted me, and here's what she wrote. She wrote, today's Devo reminded me of our time together in healing prayer when you said to me, you've prayed, now walk in it. And she said, those three words, walk in it, have resonated with me over and over when my mind and emotions overtake my faith. Healing prayer, imagine actual healing, daily healing, sanctification. And then she wrote this, and I do remember, she said, remember when I thought sanctification was hail? And she spelled it just that way, H-E-Y-U-L-L, hail. Um, And I do remember the day that happened. I was preaching out of town that Sunday morning, and so I'd just come back into town that afternoon and ran by Kroger, and she was the first person I saw. And she came up to me, and she hugged me, and she said, uh, Mark Freitag was the one who was preaching that day, and she said, Mark's message today was great, but it was hard. I'm telling you, sanctification is hell. She was saying that to me that day because she had just become a new Christian or a renewed Christian. Back in that day, she was brand new to all this. She'd come home from Jesus to Jesus after years away, watching her find her place in the body of Christ and watching Jesus do some significant healing in her life had been such a joy for me. I had prayed with her, and I'd listened to her very complicated story, and we'd shared some tears together. And so I knew that it had not all been fun and games for her. She's right, of course. Sanctification is hard work. By the time somebody gets serious about the process of changing spiritually, they've, they've usually tried all the other options <laughs> and have discovered there's no shortcuts. Change is going to happen. Something has to die. And death is not fun. If you've ever had to give it up cigarettes or given up alcohol or drugs or, or, you, or, you've, or you've had to give up some of your own pride in order to forgive somebody who you flat out just don't like, you know that, that it, it, is, it is hard. It is hard. Death is not easy. 
The quitting itself is hard work. Somewhere in the death of that thing, we get a glimpse, though. If not of where we are, then of where we've been, you know? It's almost like, you know, when a, when a plane is, is flying through the air and, they, and they, they go fast enough to break through the sound barrier, you hear that sonic boom, and the boom is a huge deal. But that plane has been gathering speed for a long time. So it's sort of like that. Sanctification happens while we're doing it, and we feel it when we walk from death to life. We, we know from the contrast that hell has been in the equation. <laughs> and, so, and, and it's only for the promise of what's on the other side that we bother. Or because our hell got bad enough to, to move us on. Which is to say that holiness is not for wimps. It's not for wimps. Entire sanctification is hard work. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, it's for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So not even Jesus got a pass on that walk through pain to get to the other side where the joy is. The hard work of sanctification, the, the darkness of it, when you can't see where you're going to end up, that's the part of solid Orthodox Christianity that we don't talk about that much. But it's really about deepening trust. It's, it's about finding out how far, just how far can my faith take me? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Just, just how far can my faith take me? It's a question worth asking. So the one who texted me last week, who used to go here to Mosaic and who got her first taste of sanctification here, the week she wrote me, she said, this is brilliant, really, deep. Now I accept the power and pain of it only because I've learned I cannot handle the burn of sanctification without Jesus' constant presence. Whew. Oh, come on. Not my actions or feelings, but his presence or power. What were you saying? Yeah, yeah. I love that phrase, the burn of sanctification. I can feel how much she's learned as she's walked out this journey. And I wanted you to hear this because maybe these last few weeks, some of our talk about entire sanctification, about Christian perfection, you've been thinking, well, that's all kind of abstract, and maybe that's just textbook book learning, you know, and you've wondered if we really need to spend our time on it because, because maybe this isn't real. And I'm going to tell you, I want to say nothing is more real than this work of growing up in every way into him who is our head. Amen. This is what, yeah, come on, y'all. This is what Paul said to the Ephesians. He said, that sanctification is how Christians adult. And that's basically a paraphrase when he said, you are to grow up in every way into him who is your head. I've told this before about, you know, when you have, see a little toddler there, their heads are bigger than their bodies, you know, and so they're real cute when they got these big old heads and their little stomachs and everything. That size head on a grown-up person would look kind of funny, right? Your point is to grow up into your head who is Christ. 
That's good work, and it's very real. In fact, nothing is more real than the power and pain that comes with seeking and developing a tolerance for Jesus' constant presence. Can you develop a tolerance for Jesus' constant presence? Don't you want that? So that's one thing that happened this week that I want to tell you about. I also want to tell you that I spent all of Tuesday in a courtroom. And the whole day I had two recurring thoughts in my mind. And the first one was, I cannot believe we are here. I cannot believe it has come to this. I'm a little embarrassed by that, you know. I can't believe we had to ask a secular court to decide for Christian people what is right. That's exactly why Paul did not recommend it. Because it ought to be that Christians already know. And also because it causes us, when you're, when you're in that situation, you focus on the, 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 everything that's wrong. Rather than being free to f- focus on what is right and good and pure and holy. The law will never get us the distance of grace. The law will never get us the distance of grace. Sometimes circumstances will draw us to that legal option where it seems like that's the only one we have left. But can the law ultimately get you where you want to go? That's a good question to ask yourself. So I said I had two recurring thoughts in that courtroom. The first is, I can't believe we are here. The second, the other thought I have was, this Sunday, I'm talking about the difference between law and grace. And I had this, plan, this was planned a long time ago. How, I have, how, how law and grace interact with the process of sanctification. And here I sit in a courtroom, leaning on the law and wishing for grace. And that was a moment for me. It's a moment that for recognizing that no human system can generate grace because grace is incubated in a relationship with God. This is one of those meta-stories of the Bible. We begin in the Old Testament with God bringing his people out of exile into the desert and then handing them the law as sort of a first primer, sort of like the, the primer uh, coat you put on a wall, you know, before that first coat of, point, of paint, before you add the color, before they got to the vibrancy of, of sanctification. So, 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 um, so we start in Exodus with all of that, and then in Leviticus, I get to talk about Leviticus today. Exodus, we get the big ones, the Ten Commandments. And then in Leviticus, God begins to drill down into each of those major themes to teach us that a thousand times a day, we are confronted by pockets of death. But inside this fallen state, there's a choice and an invitation to go looking for life. Leviticus is a hard book. I've said this, it's where Bible reading plans go to die. It's because it's hard to hear the bigger point that holiness really is all about life. And so ridding your house of yeast, ridding your clothes of mold, ridding your life of sexual activity you weren't designed for, all those rituals and laws for the Israelites were little practice sessions on how to go looking for life. And at the center of this whole conversation in Leviticus, all of it about what it means to be holy, 
about what it means to live a good life. At the center of all of it sits what they call the holiness code. And like a heading over this whole section, several chapters right in the middle of Leviticus, God tells Moses to tell the people this, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, I want you to read what God says to say to them. Read this together. Go. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So what's the key thing here? What does he want for us? To be holy. Why? Because God is. The Hebrew word for holy is kadesh. We find that word more than 100 times in the book of Leviticus. 17 times in Leviticus chapters 21 and 22, we find either that we're holy or that God is or that we're to be holy because God is. All the way through the holiness code, Leviticus chapter 17 to 26, God makes this clear that the point is to know God as he is. We do these things so we can identify with God, so we can know him, so we can recognize his voice, so we can walk in his ways. Walk in it. We're holy by proximity to God. It's his character and his voice that makes us holy. So the writer of Leviticus gives us this whole section of very specific laws about all kinds of things, mold and not putting a curse on somebody, not seeking revenge. He talks about sexual relationships. It's kind of crazy that we had to be told that not to have sex with our own children or with animals. It's in there. But that's the irony of the whole section is that we have to be told. It reminds me of those warning labels made by lawyers that they put on coffee cups. This coffee is hot. Or... You know, your, your dry cleaning bag. This bag is not a toy. We had to be told because on our own, we are drawn toward death. So the author talks very directly about behavior, but he comes back to this refrain over and over again. Be holy because I am, which is to say, get close enough to me to hear my voice. How close can you get? How far will you let your faith take you? So these laws are highly relational. It's about getting close to God. It's also in the holiness code in Leviticus that we find the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want you to stop and think about this for a minute. That's the law Jesus plucked from all those laws in Leviticus in the holiness code. The one line that he pulled into his own teaching was this, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, take care of each other because this is the filter through which every other law flows. So observe the Sabbath and take care of each other. Don't Wear your servant out and your donkey's out. Take care of each other. Give your people a break. Don't make or worship idols and take care of each other. D take care of your body. And in doing that, you will take care of each other. Don't leave the weak ones behind. Take care of each other. Take care of the elderly and the foreigner. Take care of each other. 
Which is to say that we are holy not only by proximity to God, but by proximity to each other. How we live impacts the people around us. That's why Jesus got so frustrated with the Pharisees. He watched them over and over become experts at the law while they walked right over people. They completely misread the law of God. So we come back to our, I don't know why this, this came to me at the first service when I preached it, so I just need to say it. It came back to me again. You know how it is when, when, when you've told somebody in your household to do something 50 different times and they haven't done it, and then you take some kind of personal pleasure in noticing that they didn't do it again? You know that? Oh, I think I told you to, un, un, to, to unload the dishwasher. Didn't I? Didn't I tell you that? I don't know why I'm thinking about that right now. <laughs> My Steve unloads the dishwasher really well. But I can feel that Pharisee, you know, that, that great desire to prove somebody else wrong. Come on. I mean, amen by myself. Y'all are just listening in right now. Can the law ultimately get you where you want to go? The writer of Hebrews gives us the answer, Hebrews 10.1. He says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year because you keep screwing the same laws up over and over again, it, it can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. In other words, the law can only take you so far, can tell you that your actions are right or wrong, but can't fix your motives, can't fix your heart. So can we ever be entirely sanctified? I want you to hold that question. So I have one more thread to add. I've given you two, and here's the third one. Last week, I had a prophetic vision. I was wide awake, but it was during a time of prayer. And I have a sense maybe it's part of this puzzle that we're putting together this morning. I saw myself in the cockpit of a plane, and I was flying through the clouds. I was the one at the steering wheel, and if you know my driving record, that should make you sit up. Maybe I'd flown a plane before, maybe I'd been in a cockpit before, but I'd never been in this plane. Not like this. And all I can see when I look out the window is a thick bank of clouds, too, too thick to see through, nothing but white in any window. Have you, have you, have you flown where you, you know, all you can see through the, the window is white? And I imagine what's on the other side of this cloud bank. In my vision, this is what's happening. I imagine what's on the other side of this cloud bank. I'm in the middle of it, but eventually my plane is going to break through these clouds and I'll be able to see what I was flying toward. And as I'm in prayer, I feel this fear sort of welling up in me because I'm thinking, what if I'm flying directly toward a building? And what if when those clouds break, I'm 10 feet from that building and I don't have time to veer? That's a pretty anxious feeling, almost claustrophobic. No sense of space and possibility, just windows full of mist, no confidence in where I'm headed. How do I know when all I can see in the window is white? Whether I'm heading toward a building or toward a runway. They tell me 
that when a pilot is in a situation like this, when the clouds are thick and the, or, or, or the weather is particularly bad, the, the flying conditions are bad, it can be disorienting for your eyes to go back and forth between what you see in the window and what you see on the panel because the window and the panel aren't telling you the same thing. What you see in the window is telling you that things are bad, that this is rough, that you might not make it through, but the panel, the panel tells you the truth. The panel can tell you what true north is so you don't get your plane turned upside down when you're disoriented. The panel can show you altitude and terrain. It can communicate actually directly with air traffic controllers. And it even has systems in place to fix itself. So assuming you've navigated well to this point, you're better off trusting the panel more than you trust what's in the window. You should write that down. Trust the panel more than what's in the window. Because the control panel actually can tell you what is true. And this, maybe, is a little bit like the law. It can tell you what is true. It can point toward true north. And when things get confusing, it is wiser to keep our eyes on the control panel, on the law, rather than looking out the window at a world that would rather turn us upside down. Does this make sense? But listen. When the plane gets in a high traffic area, like when it gets close to an airport, close to a runway, when there are other planes in the air close by, there is something better and more accurate than the control panel, and that's the control tower. In fact, the plane actually has to stop looking at the panel and start listening to the voice of the air traffic controller when they get close to other traffic. The guys in the control tower see the big picture. They see the buildings, the traffic patterns, the weather. They see it all. And even more, the guy in the control tower knows where all the other planes are, understands all the traffic. You're, you're not responsible for knowing, but that's critical information if you're going to land without crashing into another plane. You may still be inside the cloud, but they know what you're heading toward and if you want to make it to the runway, you're going to need that voice in your ear. You need someone who knows your location and destination, who knows what this plane you're flying is capable of, because you can fly 2,000 miles in the clouds without incident and still crash into a, a building or lose it on the runway if you don't have a real live voice to guide you in. Come on. So yes, trust the panel. Trust the panel more than what's in the window. But there is a place where a pilot reaches the limit of his panel. And from that moment on, he has to depend on the voice in the tower. He has to trust the voice more than the panel. And maybe, friends, that's what grace is. The law is the rules on the page, but grace is a voice. And if we want to not just fly without incident, but land safely, we need to become intensely interested in that voice. That's what sanctification is asking of us. 
is asking us to become intensely interested in that voice, even when it speaks in the thinnest, quietest of ways. In fact, entire sanctification is asking you to become so used to that voice that you can hear the thinnest whisper of it, even in the madness around you. The law is rules on a page. But grace is a voice. And if we want to just not just fly without incident, but land safely, we have to become intensely interested in that voice. Interested enough not just to hear it, but to trust it, to believe in it, to find out just how far your faith can take you. That's it. That's it. Just how far can my faith take me? So faith faith is me trusting the voice even when everything outside the window is white. I want to read something from a story I just happened across on Christianity Today this week. Rachel Gilson tells her whole story about how God navigated her through some thick clouds. And on the other side of it, she wrote, I had to learn my first lesson of the Christian life, how to obey before I understood. My whole life had taught me to master a concept before I could assent to it. How could I possibly agree to something so costly without grasping the reason? In the end, it came down to trust. I knew Jesus was worthy of trust because he had made a greater sacrifice. He had left the bliss, the comfort, the joy of loving and being perfectly loved to be a to live a sorrowful life on earth. He took the pain and shame of a criminal's death and suffered the father's rejection so also I could be welcomed. Who could be more deserving of trust? And then she goes on, listen to this. The obedience of faith only works when it's rooted in a person, not a rule. Imposed on its own, a rule invites us to sit in judgment, weighing its reasonableness. But a rule flowing from relationship smooths the way for faithful obedience. And I want to say to you that the difference between law and grace is the difference between rules and relationship. It's the difference between following the panel and following the voice. It isn't that one thing is wrong and the other is right, but one can only take you so far. And that, I believe, is Paul's point. When he talks about law and grace in Romans chapter 7, he says that the law has done its job when it tells us what we're doing when we're wrong. And, and, and the law does that. It's doing its job. It's telling us that while we're in the clouds, while we're in the clouds, that we are heading toward a brick wall. Paul even says we make it worse on ourselves when we trust our own brain, watching out the window instead of looking at the panel. The law, he writes, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then Paul shows us where the panel ends and the voice begins. He says, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanks be to God for grace. 
Can we ever really be sanctified? Well, we can't be, we cannot be perfected outside of an intimate and growing relationship, friendship with Jesus Christ. Until we learn not only his law, but his voice. We cannot be perfected in love until we surrender to him in the clouds, when we can't see two feet in front of us, when we have no idea how this will play out, whatever this is in our lives. That's where the real perfecting happens because that's where faith clicks in. To be made perfect in love, to be perfected in love toward our neighbor, to land on that runway. We have to learn how to listen to the tiniest, thinnest voice, even in the thickest cloud. You know, the end goal of sanctification is not to become a better rule follower. The end goal of sanctification is to be sitting in the heart of God. So I see you there right now. I see you there. Set everything aside. Bow your head. Close your eyes. It's the heart of God or it's an airplane you're sitting in. It's a cockpit. It's a cockpit you're sitting in right now. I want to invite you into what God invited me into this week. It's a beautiful moment for me when he asked me to trust to start listening for the voice inside the cloud. And I asked him, God, am I... Am I, am I flying straight at a building right now and I just can't see it for the clouds? Or am I heading for a runway? And I was asking him about a very specific thing, a specific stressor in my life. And, and the Lord answered me. And so I invite you into this place to just listen to the Lord. Bring him Bring him the thing that's been on your heart lately, the question that is weighing on you, the burden you have. It can't be for another person. It's it's you in that cockpit. It's you sitting inside his heart. And he just wants you to listen to the thinnest whisper of a voice. Dennis whisper. Ask him your question. Give him a grace to answer. Yes. How far do you suppose faith can take you? Can it take you far enough this morning to actually believe the voice you've just heard? Can you just go ahead and believe it? 
can it take you far enough, as our friend said, to get up and walk in it? Wow. And if you can't hear anything right now, can your faith take you far enough that you can keep flying in the clouds, trusting that the control tower and the panel have got you? Can your faith take you far enough that you begin to be hungry, to listen? What if he's inviting you into that thinner place? where the whispers are megaphone-like. Jesus, Jesus, we want to be made perfect in love. Nobody wants to do this imperfectly. We want to be made perfect in love. So Jesus, make us perfect so that what we're doing, our actions, take care of the people around us. Make it, God, so that we are deeply in love, deeply in love with your purposes. Hungry to hear. Hungry to walk it out. Jesus, give us an ear for your still, small voice. Jesus, I'll ask you to stand right now. song that we're about to sing is just a song about trusting. It's a really, it's a great song about just trusting Him, having faith in Him, worshiping Him, believing Him. It's a, it's... So you have an opportunity to come here and kneel. If you'd like to just come to the front and kneel and, and just bring that thing, get closer, get closer somehow to the altar and, and cry out. You have an opportunity to do that right now. You can come and, and pray here. If you would rather, if you would rather come and, and get prayer from somebody, I would be so pleased to pray with you. Mark and, and Karen are right here at the front. They would be so pleased to pray with you. You could turn to the person next to you and ask them to pray for you if you want. If you want a miracle, if you want some thing, if you want healing, if you're looking for something, if you've not ever, if, you, if you're coming home to Christ after a long time away, I would love the chance to pray with you, just to agree in God over your life. If you stay where you are, I just invite you to let all of you turn toward the Lord and worship. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.